to another edition of the Kings of Anglia Ipswich Town podcast. My name is Andy Warren and I'm joined by Stuart Watson this morning to have a reflective look back at um, a pretty frustrating weekend for Ipswich Town and a look, and a look ahead to um, a long old trip up to Burnley in, in the FA Cup. The birds are tweeting outside your window, Stu. They sound, they, sound, they sound so happy. They sound wholesome. Whenever the birds are tweeting at your window, it just makes me feel like the world, the world is alive and... Um, and there's reason to smile. So uh, Did let's, I keep tell- that, oh, let's keep that theme going. <laughs> Did I tell you about how there was almost another incident, podcast incident? Have I spoke about this? I don't know if I have. You know, we had the candle incident, didn't we, with the fire? Um, I think I've mentioned this, that a bird got into, into this room. A little blue tit was flying around frantically <laughs> around the time you were recording a podcast without me one day. Um, that that so would have made good pod drama. Yeah. What's happened there is, Stu, is... We talk a lot. You have mm. told you have told me that story, and I enjoyed it. It's a good story, but um, you probably didn't realise that you've not told that on the podcast. Which it which all, the, the lines blurs blurred. <laughs> it all blurs into one. Um, we've got no more stories to tell each other, which doesn't bode well for a five-hour car journey up to Lancashire tomorrow together. Um, but it'll still be fun, though, mate. Yeah, yeah, it'll still be fun. Um, Cambridge. Oh, well, it wasn't well, it wasn't particularly great fun, was it, for Ipswich this weekend? Um, this isn't a hard a hard turn into the starting about the starting to talk about the football, but um, wasn't went there with so much expectation, didn't we? And hope in the car that yeah, Town have done a fairly good job of seeing off teams like this, so they need to today, and um, just just didn't happen. Just didn't work mm. out that way, and um, it's hard doing these like. 36 hours on from the game you kind of you change your feeling about it a little bit but it's still I've got the highlights the um the replay of the game kind of whirring around on my tv next to me here while we while we record this and um Connor Chaplin's just launched a an attempted kind of ball into a dangerous area that's gone nowhere near anybody and it, it that that kind of thing just kind of summed up summed up the day really frust- frustration I was ready to have some more nonsense chat before we got into this <laughs> into this hard, uh, slightly depressing chat about where Ipswich are at. Um, yeah, you're right. Sometimes we do these on a, on a Monday and your feelings change a little bit. And in general, I would say that you tend to feel better about frustrating perform- results come Monday. That has been the theme over the course of this season that... It, it hurts, it frustrates in the immediate aftermath, but then you reflect on it and go, actually, played really well on another day, could and should have won. That wasn't the case this time. Um, and it is starting to become a bit of a concern that Ipswich are trending in the wrong direction as we enter, enter the final straight. Uh, we talked about Oxford before the fog set in, being one of the worst performances under Kieran McKenna. This was in the same... This was in the same um, ballpark, really, as, as that performance. It's uh, one step forward with Morecambe and Burnley and, and two steps back with this one, which feels like it's been a theme of this football club going back several mm. years now. And so here, here we sit on a Monday. I've bumped into several Ipswich Town fans sort of uh, over, over the weekend and this morning. And what's going on with this football club? Classic Ipswich, here we go again. We're going to mess it up. You know, that is all of those old psychological wounds and scars are going to get 
opened, even if you're the most positive, optimistic, rose-tinted football fan going, you're going to have that little devil on the shoulder just whispering away at the moment. Um, and that's where we're at. Yeah, I think the thing that makes me so down about this one is that this is the first time that I've... Re- so many people ask, like, what, what do you think Town are going to do this season? And every time, I've always right. I think they'll be all right. I think they're going to be there. Um, this is the first time, and, and it's not it's not terminal, of course it isn't, but this is the first time I've I've seriously started to doubt whether they're even going to be right on that automatic promotion chase to the end. That This is the first time I've started to doubt that a little bit. Mm. Um doesn't mean I, I I don't I don't doubt that the squad's good enough. I don't, and I certainly don't doubt that the that the manager's good enough. Not not even close to that. But it's just I started to doubt that. I always thought whatever happened, Ipswich would go to Fleetwood on that final day, and it would be a serious day, a serious day of of something. Hmm. Just a bit of a doubt that that's going to be the case now after, after this. And that's the yeah. first time for me. There have been points where you could have doubted that previously, I guess. But for me, this is the first time. Yeah. It's something... I'll, weirdly, I was flicking through Amazon last night and I was watching they have little Premier League shorts. don't know if you've watched any of these that look back on Leicester winning the title or Rooney's overhead kick against City. And I landed on one about uh, the Aguero-Manchester City title. And they had talking heads with various people from that team that year. Mika Richards, Jolien Lescott, and they talked about how psychologically getting over the line enabled them to do what came next. Because even though it was a new era with new money, with good players, players that had got experience, that had won things individually elsewhere, there was still something over that football club that didn't have that experience as a club, which, and I, and I talked to Kieran McKenna about this afterwards, and I hope he took the question in the way that it was meant. But I I sort of said there is some baggage around this football club and supporters are going to be feeling it. And you have had incredible support home and away, both in numbers and vocal this season. But do you you appreciate and understand that there are going to be some little psychological doubts born from things of the past, things that predate your time here, but they are there and it's up to you to to win back hearts and minds. Not that hearts and minds have been lost, but it's up to the team now. We talk about whose job is it to lift who. It's the team's job to lift the fans now at this moment in time. And yes, a lot of these players have won things elsewhere, had promotions, got experience. But as a football club, Ipswich Town hasn't had that. It hasn't got that muscle memory to go to in these situations at the moment. And I think maybe we're just starting to see that in the last few weeks. Mm. I I I think that I think everybody involved does understand that whether they can quite feel how deep rooted it is. It's I, I think you I think it's very the, the people kind of in charge of the club and then and the management certainly of they're intelligent people and they've they they know the history, especially the recent history of Ipswich and why and kind of what's happened um, for town to get to this point. But they may they can't they can't feel how deep rooted it is. It's more deep rooted. They weren't than... there. Yeah, you weren't there, man. Uh, you had to be there. Um, it's more deep-rooted even than than the last few seasons in League One. And I think mm-hmm. that people reference, OK, they faded away in the seasons one and two after a good start in League One. But it goes back well beyond that, doesn't it, to the 
years of treading water in the championship and just it goes back quite a long way I would say more than a decade now of disappointments and false dawns and even going back to oh Paul Hurst is going to be something a bit different everyone gets themselves up Mm. and then falls flat again a few months later and we've had these kind of moments of hope the hope that kills you and it always does kill you and it's now up to this this team this club to to go and and do something and get it over the line because until it happens those Mm. doubts are going to be there and you just hope now that this doesn't become a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy a bit of a vicious cycle where everyone gets a little bit nervy that transcends to the players and and then we see that over the next few weeks um we shouldn't forget that this is a very good football team still and we shouldn't forget that it wasn't that you know it was only last week that they dismantled Morecambe having burst out the blocks it was boxing day when they took Oxford apart um you know they've just matched the championship leaders Burnley not that long ago, but it's it's though the to be the top teams to win, and this is the, the bar that we're judging Ipswich against now to be a top two automatic promotion side. It's about consistency. Ipswich have got good players, but the very best players, the elite players, the thing that sets them out isn't their quality necessarily. It's the, it's their mentality and it's their consistency and it's the, their ability to do it week in week out. And and Saturday to me felt like even at a subconscious level i'm not saying anyone went into that not wanting to perform well but it just felt like they just lost that little extra percentage they went into that morecambe game fired up and focused and you could tell that that was you know as mark bonner said an angry team that wanted to go out there after the oxford debacle and set the tone from the off it was completely the opposite on saturday and i don't know why that is um but it is a concern yeah, um, the things you've mentioned there, we'll, we'll get into the game, of course, in a bit. But like the things you mentioned there about, yes, we we know this is a really good team. The manager, I think, is great. Um, that's why that's why you can feel that's why this season and this team still feels different to the ones of the past. And all, all if you think about it, uh, that they've made a lot of progress in trying to get rid of some of those deep lying. Um, yeah negative thoughts like even even silly things like we're we're driving up to Burnley tomorrow for a fourth round FA Cup replay like yeah. it's just that they've done a good job of, of yeah, like getting, winning on Sky yeah they've done Sky, that in some of the physical sides which was a bit of a, something that was a, a thing there was loads of little things that we talked about getting monkeys off the back in the early part of this season but it was always going to be bubbling under the surface wasn't it just would take one or two little bumps in the road just to get everybody just just a little bit jittery and, and wobbly. And, um, you know, you could argue that now is the time the team needs the fans more than ever during their their little moment of of, of worry. But I, I completely understand it from a fan's point of view because I've been there home and away over the last decade. So I, I get where that's coming from. And I'm sure the atmosphere will be incredible on Saturday for Sheffield Wednesday. And I'm sure everyone will turn up at three o'clock on Saturday and leave all that baggage at the door and, and it will be an incredible atmosphere and they'll get fully behind them. But um, right now in the aftermath of Saturday, um, yeah, it's hard It's hard not to feel a little bit flat and, and uh, worried and deflated mm. and, and all those things. Yeah, fl- well, flat flat's a word, I think. I, I watched the first 15 minutes back of the, the first half this morning. Um, I've had it on subsequently since and just seen, just seen the penalty being given away and that's... Uh, not many people cover themselves in glory um, in that, apart from Christian Walton, uh, in that phase of play. But in those first 15 minutes, Stu, um, 
it kind of settled into a pattern. Town Town had what they wanted, which was a lot of the ball, but Cambridge, I don't know whether they had too much of the ball, whether they were given too much space, but it meant that they Ipswich felt it felt quite passive what Ipswich were trying to do. They were just happy to have the ball, and as you said, the 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 bit between the teeth to to go out and 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 prove a point against Morecambe didn't feel like it was there. Maybe the the fear of what would in that Morecambe game, it's like the fear of what not winning that game would have been. Maybe that wasn't there for this one, but quite they dominated dominated the first fifteen minutes of play. Cambridge didn't have an awful lot, didn't do very much in those fifteen minutes, but Town didn't didn't use their time wisely um, and didn't and didn't set the tone for a game. And from there, the, the final half an hour of the first half, Cambridge worked their way into it and, and caused Ipswich trouble that they couldn't didn't really seem to enjoy trying to deal with. Um, mm. not not a pretty half of football at all, was it? No, I think Ipswich had something like eighty something percent possession in those first fifteen twenty minutes that you've just described. Cambridge sat quite deep and were organised and and made sure that they just played their way into the game. Ipswich were almost a bit too just it was just slow. The tempo just wasn't there, was it? You have to when a team sits like that in a deep block, you have to pull them one way and the other to try and find that overload. And Ipswich didn't do that. Players were taking too many touches of the ball. The ball was being moved too slowly. It just lacked that ing- that aggression, that intensity, that drive. Um, it was all a bit too comfortable for Cambridge just to sit bit sit behind the ball. And amount of times you described one earlier when you were watching it, where eventually Ipswich would keep the ball for 10, 15 passes, and then eventually someone from midfield would float a fairly hopeful. Deep, deep, straight ball into the box that would would come to nothing. And I said to you at some at one stage, they need to be on the set pieces today. If this is going to be how it is, then maybe set pieces get you out of jail on the days where you're not quite at it, and set pieces were well off of it as well. Um, corners were comfortably cleared. I thought it epitomised the start of that game when Lee Evans got a free kick in a really good position and sort of just fluffed that really. Um, mm. low and, and wide past the post. Um, and then uh, against the backdrop of that, there's a switch off in concentration and Cambridge score from the, the very first shot on goal, which was which was a great strike, no doubt about it. Great swerve outside of the boot, outside of the box. But, um, I mean, again, Sam Morsi and Lee Evans, Paul Digby just sort of sidesteps his way through the two of them far, far too easily. Um, to lead to that chance, and Keo, I think, just gets himself a little bit lost in terms of where where the between getting himself between the ball and the goal, um, and that just suddenly seemed to wake the home team and the home crowd up. They suddenly thought, actually, hang about a minute, they're um, we can get at them here and get and get at Ips, which they did in the next sort of uh, ten fifteen minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Well, there's one way that they wanted to get at them and that was through hitting Joe Ironside and working off it and I don't think Ipswich dealt with that particularly well the mid the midfield felt felt flat for Ipswich for me like it, it looks that they look like they look very deep very very deep and maybe maybe that's that's where Cambridge wanted Ipswich to be deep um didn't didn't sort of push Ipswich up and got beaten through as you say for the um for the goal there. And then I think it also comes through there for the penalty as well. It's kind of a, a run through the middle of midfield, which, um, which is strange for Ipswich because that's been such a, such a strength. It's, it's felt um, for that, like for your strengths, not to be, not to be firing is a, 
is a worry, I think. The, the the penalty incident comes from a long that's a long ball forwards and it's a lost header. Harry Clark just loses a, a, a leap with um Joe Ironside and then just a bit of indecisiveness really from Ipswich. They just weren't alive to those second balls and the penalty incident was a prime example of that. If you're not going to win the first ball, make sure you win the second. And I thought they just got a bit, again, lapse in concentration there. Um, and yeah, very fortunate that that, that didn't lead yeah. to 2-0 um, after Edmonton had taken down McGrandles. No no complaints at all with that as a penalty. Walton, that is as good a penalty save as you can see. You know, it was a good, good penalty, wasn't it? Hard and low, full stretch to his right to keep it out. Um, and that could have been, you know, we could have been sat here on a Monday talking about as poor as Ipswich have been. This is the fine margins in football, isn't it? That we go, actually, mm. Walton, Walton saved a penalty. That proved to be the turning point. They got an equaliser early in the second half. And if they'd have gone on to get a winner, we'd, we have completely different conversation here. But they didn't. And I'm not sure they deserve to, to be quite honest. Well, yeah, I think, I think the thing that, that made it really hard for them was that they didn't get the immediate that it, it didn't have that immediate swing in play after the penalty save. I, I, if Ipswich had been battering the door down before half time after that, I think things might have been a little bit different. But but the fact the team that were on the pitch didn't respond to that probably leads to the changes and the radical the radical um, shift in things at the break, which you you can't you can't argue that the coaching staff didn't go for it to try and change things i think they realized that it needed something drastic to change they did that but when i don't think ipswich town are perhaps built for for drastic gung-ho change they're they're built on systems and 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 intelligence and sophistication of the football and 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 when you're when you're kind of gung-ho going for something that changes too so it was i i it lacked the control that ipswich have I think but you can't question you can't then question the desire to go for it it's just maybe the control no. that they were able to have on on proceedings by doing what they did and this is where I would argue that managers can't win because we'll, we'll have a bit more of a debate about whether the whether the changes that were made were the right ones and whether there could have been something different in a minute but what you can what is beyond question is that they were offensive changes and and really went for it and tried something different as well um people also quickly tell you that sort of doing the same thing over and over again and and hoping for different results is the definition of madness quite often McKenna's changes have been like for like he didn't do that on this occasion he changed system he changed from from my mind it's been a 4231 for a long time i know people still call it the the wing back system it's a 4231 and it changed very much to a back three at half time with with attack minded wing backs you had on that pitch burns harness chaplin edwards broadhead ladapo six what i would describe as forward players on that football pitch with with a slightly different system more attacking players on the pitch. And yet I still see people sort of saying, why didn't he try something different? Well, that that is drastically different um, to what Ipswich have tried. And if he hadn't have done that, if he'd have just gone for, I'll oh, wait for 10 more minutes, then just change Hurst for Ladapo and 
whoever for whoever, like for like, people would have gone, well, why didn't he go for it? Why didn't he try something different? They ended the game with two strikers on the pitch in Hurst and Ladapo that we haven't seen for a long time. So he did try different things in this match. Um, but you're right, it, it, Ipswich did lose their usual sort of structure and control and it, and it all felt a little bit chaotic that second half mm. in the end. It was more sort of hopeful that some individual brilliance would sort of come off at, at some stage rather than then a game plan would, would finally win out. Well, it did, didn't it? That's the other thing. A, a bit of individual brilliance did force the equaliser. Kyle, Kyle Edwards, um, I think, showed why. I think that's he showed exactly why he was kept around when there was interest from elsewhere at the end of January. And I, I think we, we were all in agreement that, I think we were anyway, we talk far too often about these things. I thought we were all in, we're all in agreement about that he should be around because I think he can do things like that. They haven't got players that can beat a man like that. A really nice little trick from him, beats a man, pulled back, great finish, Ladapo 1-1, plenty of time on the clock. But it di- didn't feel like they were knocking the door down for a winner after that. It didn't It, no, it didn't it, feel like it. I looked back on it and there was reasonable number of chances in that second half created, um, but none of them you would call guilt edge or good chances. There were moments. Um, Broadhead couldn't quite bundle in from close range when when Hurst helped the ball back across the six-yard box. That was probably the best one. Broadhead played a nice little one-two with Ladapa at one stage. Tight angle over the bar. Really well-weighted harness through ball. Burns bursts down yeah. the side of the box. Tight angle. Lifts the ball over the bar. Difficult chance. But they were sort of moments rather than they were individual moments in the game rather than a five-minute spell. Like you, you can sense sometimes like there's a goal coming here. And I never felt like that that Ipswich had that five-minute spell of like, okay, it's coming. They're on top. Mm. They're bossing this now. It's a matter of time. Um, and it didn't really feel like that in that game. And I'll be honest, it got so open, wide open at the end because of the amount of attacking players Ipswich had. Ipswich was just as likely to concede in those final 10, 15 minutes when Cambridge had their out ball up to up to their strikers and, and they lived dangerously a few times themselves, to be quite honest. So, um, yeah, it resulted in a draw and um, I don't think it, anyone can really argue that Ipswich deserved much more than, than a draw from this game, to be honest. No, it's uh, no, I, no, I don't. I don't think so. Um, but then it, you're in this. You then that leaves you in this situation where you're thinking, yes, they could very easily have lost that game. A point is better, but Kieran McKenna said so many times that points aren't really that useful. Um, is it but ten yeah, draws? This, is, this, yeah, ten draws, and this is based upon you know if Ipswich had been in the top two and going along okay you'd be able to stomach this quite easily and go, well, do you know what? On another day, we could have lost that and points away from home are okay as long as you win at home. And But it's based, the feeling of the pressure on these games has risen because of what's happened before. Really, it's the it's the Cheltenham at home, it's Fleetwood at home, it's Lincoln mm. at home. They're, they were the damaging results, really, that have left us in this position where we're reflecting on this. You know, In the grand scheme of things, it's not this result that could prove costly. It's it's those ones that I've mentioned previously. Um, so, but that's where Ipswich have found themselves at, isn't it? Um, needing with very, very little wriggle room going into these sort of games and even less now um, off the back of this one. 
Well, yeah, it's, it, well, it's, it's outside looking in territory now, isn't it? Quite firmly, six points behind both of those teams at the top of the table. Sheffield Wednesday have a game in hand and come to Ipswich next weekend. So the magnitude of that one and what it would mean, what it means for, for Town's ability to catch Sheffield Wednesday is huge, isn't it? What what happens next weekend? That's a, We've got plenty of time to talk about that one, um, even though I'm sure with the best will in the world, it's on a lot of minds already. There's there's a cup replay to come this week, but it, it can't not be on the minds um, already. We'll see that from the team, I'm sure, that's named up at Burnley. Um, but it's outside looking in territory firmly, isn't it? It's it's they are they are the hunt the hunter they are definitely not the hunted. Yeah, they are. I mean, it's I've had a look back through the the form guide now. You go back to this is from the the four four late collapse at Charlton onwards. It's nineteen points from the last thirteen games, which works out at nearly one point five points on average a game, which you extrapolate that over a season gives you sixty seven points over a forty six game season. Last season you'd have finished twelfth with that. The season before you'd have finished eleventh. So that gives you the idea of what the mid table form that Ipswich have been in since when was that Charles late game? October. Late October time Ipswich have been in mid table form. Um by contrast, others are flying. Um Derby and Sheffield Wednesday in particular are winning machines at the moment. Plymouth's form's not that much better, to be quite honest. They've got 23 points from that time. So they're not they're not as flying as people think they are. Um, but Sheffield Wednesday have taken 31 points during that period. Derby have taken 29. Um, Bolton and Barnsley aren't too far behind as well. So um yeah, Ipswich, from, from all of a sudden, everyone was talking about the top three have gone and it's a three-horse race. All, you know, all of a sudden, it's it's um, the picture has changed very, very quickly, hasn't it? It has. Town are more than capable of picking picking up some form and picking up some wins and getting them going. They are. And, and I, I feel incredible. I, I feel really confident in the, in the manager, the coaching staff. I like the squad that they've assembled. But it's just the outside-looking-in nature of it now that, that worries me. It's... Um, I think Sheffield Wednesday will win the league from here. I feel quite comfortable in that. Um, and I think second second place is going to be really, really interesting. Really interesting because you've got a Plymouth team who have got their own baggage in there um, from, from last season. Um, their fans will feel a bit different about their team this year than, than previous, but they've got baggage in there. You've got an Ipswich team that know they need to find a real level of form. Um to get in there and then you'll have a team like Derby and even Bolton who are thinking hang on let's uh there's an opportunity here they'll they'll be looking at automatic promotion too like Bol- Bolton know how to do this remember when they came up from league two remember how special their form was at the end of that was it 20 like 20 win 18 wins in 20 to end the season or something crazy like that mm. they've they've got positive baggage and this is where um, I talk about clubs having that sort of muscle memory, regardless of whether the personnel has changed or not. That, that the club having that sort of muscle memory that uh, Paul Warren has got promotion now. In terms of, I suppose that's an individual rather than the club. So I've contradicted myself. But Bolton, as you say, have, have come up from League Two fairly recently. Barnsley have gone up and down through divisions over over recent years. I just think they've got more recent, as a club, as a fan base, they've got more recent successes to call upon than, than Ipswich Town have, which um, is not to be underestimated. And 
if there's one key ingredient in promotion seasons, it's momentum. You look back at any club and, and you speak to interview any player that talks about their memories of promotion seasons, they'll talk about moments where things just snowballed and momentum came and it just and it and and that's and Ipswich just haven't been able to get any momentum going, haven't had back to back wins in the league since yeah, late October time before that Charlton game when it was the when they beat Derby on the Friday night. Then they went to Port Vale and won um with difficulty at Port Vale and um not been able to get back to back wins in, in the league since then. So um yeah, that's that's where we're at at the moment. Yeah. Town, town's last promotion going all the way back to 2000 that that team will tell you that a big part of their success and and, and I don't think it's fair to compare this Sipswich team with that one in any way whatsoever quite frankly but um they the people involved with that in that will tell you that it was their ability to come back in games and and come back from behind and turn defeats going behind coming back and winning in, that was key for them and that's what built their momentum and mm. gave them their belief and gave them the muscle memory that you've just spoken about um and this game was prime for that wasn't it it had all the ingredients it it, it had the, the poor start the going behind the penalty save the momentum builder the equalizer mm. at a good time but what they couldn't find was the the finishing piece to to do that job and um that feeling that you you feel invincible no matter what happens we've just got something about us whether it's you know man united always seem to get late penalty decisions in fergie time and the invincible arsenal side you know even when they went to old trafford and uh van nistelrooy misses the penalty and you think yeah that's it we've just got fate on our side you know what nothing can go wrong where you, you go out there just thinking there's no way we're not going to win this game and the ipswich have had the opposite of that because they've conceded lots of late winners and I know Mark raised it on the podcast a while ago about how much psychological damage did that Charlton day do the more the weeks go by the more I'm starting to kind of subscribe to that that theory because other ones have followed and I think that's just chipped away at this unerring belief that I do believe there was earlier in the season speaking to these players that they believed deep down yeah we've got this this year. This is our year. We've got mm. this quiet confidence. We've got this eye of the tiger about us. And I think on a subconscious level, some of that may have may have slipped um, in recent weeks as a cumulative effect of, of these various knockbacks that have happened along the way. Well, they're going to have to find that again because um, to find that again, they, they'll, well, they'll need that to get into the automatic picture, seriously into the automatic picture. But if if... And I hope this isn't the case, but if this turns into a playoff campaign, you really need it then. You need you need real belief. That's what Ipswich had in, in 2000. Yes, they dipped out of automatic promotion places, but they did what they needed to do on the final day of that season against Walsall. They won at home, get a little bit of momentum going into the playoffs, and then they came back at Bolton in that first leg and showed real belief to come from 2-0 down, desperate situation, which then set up two of the most special football matches you'll, you'll ever see. So that belief needs to be refound if, if nothing else in these, these last 20 games, but I, um, how many games is it now? 17, 17 to go. 17. Let's not go yeah. too deep yeah. on what can happen in the playoff chat yeah, and, yeah. and, and where I'm... people's heads are at and all that. We've got many weeks ahead yeah. of us to, uh, to, to talk around all yeah. of that. Um, uh, and that's enough. And that's enough time to, to get them into the automatic picture. Seriously. Yeah. It, I really think it is. And I, and I I think they've got the players. I think the the management of the team is 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 what what you want. Look at the 
just look at the progress they've made in a in a little over a year. Um, need to kick that on again. You can't just you can't just make progress and be happy. It needs to kick on again. And and I, and I believe the personnel are there to do it, and the time is there to do it. But with every one of these weekends that ticks past, it gets that bit harder, um, and it's got harder again over the last couple of days. Yeah, well, it could all change on its head again on Saturday against Sheffield Wednesday, and we'll give that a proper preview late, later in the week. Um, Ipswich have performed in some bigger games this season. You, you think of the atmosphere and the performance against Derby, likewise against Plymouth. OK, they couldn't get that one over the line, but if they can reproduce those sort of performances uh, on Saturday, then then who knows? You beat Sheffield Wednesday and, and the whole tone and mood changes again. But um do you want to have a quick chat about the substitutions from halftime before we move on from Cambridge? It was three, three changes, which I don't think we saw coming. Um, Clark and the two... Uh, so, Clark, Davis, the two fullbacks, and Lee Evans went off. Lee Evans was a bit of a knock, an injury. The other two were just tactical, um, which we've never seen McKenna do anything like that before, really. And on came Danassian, Harness and Edwards. Um, I've talked about how it changed in terms of the system. Um, the one that kind of, I think most people couldn't quite get their heads around was, was Danassian for Clark. Um, I guess the, the, the logic would be that he was more of a, a better one-on-one defender, maybe in McKenna's mind than Clark. And if you're going gung-ho and you're putting so many attacking players on the pitch, he's a better insurance policy against that. But for me, Clark was one of the players in the first half that was actually trying to provide that forward thrust and that dynamism and all those things that we said the team was lacking. It was his, it was his driving run across the pitch which won that free kick that the Evans fluff that I talked about. He's a player that the fan base are massively behind after a really impressive debut. That was probably the one that surprised me a little bit, and he's someone that could have quite comfortably played that sort of more centre-back-y type position as well. Um, what are your thoughts on those those three changes? Um, I think I was okay with it, actually. I, I I think the structure that... I think you needed to... If you're going to go so kind of loose in the attacking structure, which they were, um, I think um, I think then you need to... Um, I've just muted you, Stu, just while I'm talking because the, there's a chainsaw going on outside. Um, but... Um, I think if you're going to go so loose in the attacking structure, you do need to have some kind of defensive structure. Um, I think Danassian maybe maybe gave that. I, I I don't think Clark would necessarily have, have broken that structure, but I think he his like tendencies are to maybe get forward more. So maybe it did that. I, I don't think Ed Davis had a great game at all. Um, Edwards was the one I, I put a tweet out at half time saying that I, I just want I like players that can run with the ball and beat a man and I just don't think Ipswich have had that broadhead barely touch the ball um, in the first half so somebody else on the pitch to try and, and do that down that side initially in, in partnership with him I, I quite liked um, Evans what, what about Harness coming on as a central midfielder ahead of Cameron Humphreys um, yeah, I was fine with that too. I think um, I think you asked a lot of Morsi from that point. I, I I wonder whether the knock for Evans. I, re- I wonder whether he might have come off had he not had that knock. To be honest, um, I think that just that bit more that bit more thrust 
from from Hart. He needed to do something drastic, I think, because like I said earlier, that 10 minutes after the penalty save, which is where you really wanted to see Ipswich go for this and use that positive momentum from the crowd, they didn't do it. And that's why I think he went drastic. I think I think had he had he seen enough from his team in that 10 minutes, um to to know to actually feel like, yeah, this this system, this way of doing things is going to get the response that we want. I don't think he necessarily would have done that. But um, I think those 10 minutes maybe made his mind up a little bit there. And I, I, I was OK with what they did um, in the end. Yeah, I think it is almost shock tactics, wasn't it? It was a sending a message to his players that that's not acceptable. And if I did a bit of like-for-like like tinkering, that doesn't quite send the right message. So um, he went for something drastic. It didn't quite pay off, but you certainly can't accuse him of not trying something different and, and going for it. Um mm. Centre-halves, do you want to have a quick chat around that? Richard Keogh, um, I can see the logic behind him coming back in. He went back to the same team that had played Morecambe in the previous league game. You've won that game 4-0. So, again, there's logic there in terms of going with that same team again. And the reason he went with Keogh against Morecambe was to deal with the physical threat of Cole Stockton. He'll have looked at Cambridge and see, seen Joe, Joe Ironside and maybe thought, OK, this is another game for, for Richard Keogh. But it didn't turn out to be a game for Richard Keogh, really, because Ironside's a lot more mobile than Cole Stockton, and he struggled with with pace of it in this game, didn't he? Well, but the, yeah, there's that, and then I think Ironside had had more players working off him than than Cole Stockton did as well. They, they Morecambe were really ultimately really quite poor, and Stockton was really isolated. Ironside, Sam Smith seemed to be within four or five yards of Ironside at all times, kind of ready to take take the ball from a knockdown, which um, which did happen like, with the best one in the world. Richard Keogh is not going to win every ball against these these players, and when you're when you're they're tied tight like that, you've got Smith ready to ready to capitalise. So, um, but for me, I, I still feel the same about centre half as I have done um, as I have done for my the, the upside centre half pairing is Wolfenden and Edmondson, and I I think between the two of them. They've got the tools. They've got every. They've got all the clubs in the bag potentially mm. to um, to um, to deal with. They should be able to deal with League One strikers. So, for me, maybe a bit of consistency. Is this a bit of danger of this is the big squad in danger of overthinking it territory a little bit? Luke Wolfenden has shown this season. It may not have been his strength at times in the past, dealing with the big physical strikers, but I think he's come on leaps and bounds in terms of those physical duels. Um, I think if you polled a lot of Ipswich Town fans, those two that you've mentioned would would come out on top as, as the two centre-halves most people want to see. Is this in danger of sort of overthinking it and making changes for the you know, sake of changes? If there's one area of the pitch that I want to see consistency in, it's the two centre-halves. And um, and the goalkeeper, that, and the that goalkeeper, yeah, that you that, that kind of unit for me, yeah, yeah. So that, that there's an argument there that Ipswich just need to for all of the array of of options they've got at the moment. I, I'd quite like them just to find a the semblance of a core of a team now and just really try. And if we're going to get this momentum, I think you need to have a fairly consistent team that can find that momentum together and maybe not overthink things a little bit. It's very easy for us to sit here and say it. Um, but 
yeah, it's uh, in hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. But but Keo wasn't didn't turn out to be his game in the end. I thought he got uh, thought his, he got himself. He used his nails a few times, bit of experience. Yes, he got himself out of danger with a bit of uh, mm. bit. Of, you know, made a few blocks, and it wasn't all bad. But yeah, there was. I mean, there was one time, wasn't there, early in the second half, where Sam Smith just had. He gave him about a five-yard head start, and he just he just blazed past him, and he was. You could see the panic on his face from mm-hmm. from about the first two or three steps of that foot race, couldn't you? Mm. And in his legs, they moved. Mm. They tried to move very quickly, but um, we're the same age-ish as Richard. <laughs> um, the legs don't move. But his his legs move a lot quicker than mine. I'll tell you that for a, for a start. But um, my legs don't move like they did at twenty five. So uh, yeah, he, he he just about did enough most of the time, I think. But for me, yeah, for me, I I I want a bit more consistency in those key areas. Like there's been in midfield. This was an off day for the Ipswich Town midfield. That doesn't mean you can't freshen things up now and again. But in general, I think we probably still feel that. That Borsi and Evans is the the midfield combination. Um, that that doesn't. We might have to soon because Sam um, Morsi mm. is now one one booking away in the league because all all suspensions are competition specific. He's one booking away from a, a two game ban in the league, which will open the door uh, for somebody because that's going to happen at some stage. Um, and Lee Evans, we don't know how how mm. he is injury wise after coming off with with a bit of a knock you always worry about him with his sort of uh, in, injury past someone who's missed a bit of football earlier in the season so that sort of nailed on central midfield partnership may uh, may be sort of in, in forced changes coming on on there and we'll see a bit more of Luongo who we haven't seen off so far Cameron Humphreys who might get his chance again so um that's going to be interesting well, I feel sure we'll move we'll move on now, I guess. But I feel I feel now that we'll see one or both of those at Burnley um tomorrow night because I think we we believe that Sam Morsi's suspended for that game, isn't he? With two two FA Cup yellow cards, one against Rotherham, one against Burnley, and two two consecutive cup yellow cards equals a one game ban, I believe, in that competition. So I think we're working on that basis, aren't we? I think so. Yeah, I'll uh, we'll we'll delve into the rule books, but we had a, we had a brief glance mm. on Saturday during the game because we were trying to work out where where Sam was at with with his bookings. So yeah, he's one away from a league booking, and I think he's going to have to sit out this one. Yeah. Um, so I I think quite clearly there's going to be a lot of changes to the team, isn't there? For the, this Burnley replay, if you ask each manager privately, neither of them would have wanted this game, um, but. It's a funny old one, isn't it? Because it's an FA Cup fourth round replay, which leads to a home game against another League One club in the fifth round, um, which a win in that takes you to a quarterfinal of the FA Cup. So it's a funny old puzzle, this one. I don't really know how to feel about it, if I'm completely honest. Well, if we're talking about Ipswich getting momentum and the feel-good factor back, this could be their ace in the pack, yeah? All of a sudden... Everything we've just discussed about Saturday and the frustrations of recent weeks, if you somehow, if, big if, can go and win at Burnley tomorrow night, you're in the fifth round of the FA Cup and you're you're playing a League One side, either Sheffield Wednesday or Fleetwood, for the chance to get into the quarterfinals. Now, you can imagine the buzz that that would give the town, the club, the fan base, everything. Um, so... This is not a game just to be sort of shrugged off as, oh, well, just get, get this one out of the way and hopefully we, mm. we don't disgrace ourselves and move on to Saturday because that's the big one. Um, I want to see, you know, Ipswich have shown that they could 
they could mix it with Burnley back at Portman Road last weekend. Um, yeah, I, I don't want this just to be sort of all the years of kind of FA Cup nothingness. They've got they've got worked hard to get themselves into this position. I don't want this just to be a kind of oh, get this get this one out of the way situation. Hmm. Um, I know we've just moved on to Burnley. My screen is still rolling, and that Richard Keogh uh, moment <laughs> that we've just discussed has come up. Um, he owes a bit of a debt of gratitude to Christian Walton's face after that one as well, because um, yeah, he, he they kind of start running together inside the centre circle in the Cambridge half. Uh, Smith's outside the centre circle, but he uh, he beats Keogh to that ball there. That's a that's quite fun to watch that back again. But thankfully, mm. Christian Walton's face saved the day. Um, Burnley... Let's just give a bit of Christian Walton appreciation quickly before we move on, because he was a man we talked in the build-up to that game about, you know, his his own dip in form. Lagkia played really well against Burnley. Is there a debate there? I think we were both in agreement that, no, Christian Walton has more than enough credit in the bank. But there was talk about the goalkeepers going into that game. And very few players came out of it with much credit, but Christian Walton certainly was one. The penalty save that we've mentioned, fantastic penalty save. That really brave stop at Sam Smith's feet that you've, you've just talked about. I thought he was pretty good in the air as well. Some confident catches are up high. Um, yeah, he, he'll be one player that's feeling a, a, a bit better about himself after that game, I think. Yeah, yeah, we talked about this one at length. For me, there was not; it wasn't even close to being a decision that needed to be made. And that's games like that is why you stick with your best goalkeeper. And Christian Walton's their best goalkeeper. Come on, let's be let's be real about this. Um, that's why you stick with them because they're good goalkeepers, and they uh, they can give you that bit of confidence. They can give you that reliability. Um, and I don't think actually the odd the odd handling error aside. I don't think you can really have questioned Christian Walton's goalkeeping over the season, really. The one at Charlton was unhelpful. Um the I think it was one of the um one of the fir- one of the I think it was the the first equalizer at two two at Charlton that he, he kind of pushed back into play, but Town Town messed that game up in in injury time and I don't think it was on Christian Walton. So no, it's not not, not one for me that's a that's a question. And um this is this was evidence why. But he's not going to play at Burnley on Tuesday night. No, that's a lovely segue into having a chat about what what we think McKenna's going to do with his team. Clagge will come back in goal. He's earned he's earned that opportunity yep. with what he did in the first game against Burnley. How much of that that Burnley team from Portman Road, sorry, the Ipswich team that faced Burnley at Portman Road, will will remain? Do you think with will he go back to to the to the bulk of that side? Do you think? Um, a bulk, yeah. So, so I read you out the team that I've got that I've got written down here, and it it differs slightly from that. Well, what, I'll tell you. What, let's come at it a slightly different way. I'll read out the team that played Burnley in that nil-nil draw, and you tell me if you think there'll be any changes to that. Okay. Is that a good way of doing it? Yeah, that's a very so, very good way of doing okay, it. Okay, so Halaki in goal. Yes. Danassian at right back, bearing in mind yes. Harry Clark's yep. cup tied. Yeah. Yep, definitely. The centre halves were Wolfenden and Edmondson. That's what I would do, but there's Cameron Burgess to factor in here, who, who, if you're not careful, is going to go a fair old while without playing any football whatsoever. So I, I, I do wonder whether he might change them and go Wolfenden and Burgess. But for me, for me, I, I'm going, I'm going Wolfenden Edmondson, just to try and, um, <clears throat> just to try and just get that partnership going. But 
Yeah, Burgess last played in the Oxford game. So if he doesn't play this one, he's then coming mm. up to sort of best part of a month without a game. So um, I would go Wolf and Edmondson. Yeah, I'm with you. I think you've got to decide now what you think your strongest centre half pairing is, and and just and get them playing and get them bedded in. Yeah, and Edmondson, Edmondson's not got the miles on the clock, has it? This isn't a Morsi and Evans situation where they've played every week for the entire season. Ed- Edmondson doesn't have the miles on the clock. Wolfenden hasn't played in this last game. Um, play them, play them again against Sheffield Wednesday. Greg Lee at left back had a really good game against yeah. Burnley first time around. Davis, like yep. you say, was was off it at the weekend. I think that's a that's a pretty much a given. Now it was it was Evans and Morsi in the first game against Burnley. Evans comes off with a knock at the weekend. Morsi, I thought, was showing signs of 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 late that he's just dipping a little bit. We think he's suspended anyway for this game, so there's going to be changes in midfield. How many? Yeah, uh, both Luongo and Humphreys, I think. Um, yeah, which I'm okay. I'd like to see Luongo. I'd like to see a proper proper go from Luongo. He's he's um he can handle a team like Burnley. He's playing in the Championship. Not well. Obviously, he was with Middlesbrough. He didn't play, but he's he's played Championship football along a lot of it for QPR and Wednesday. He can handle mm. that absolutely. Long and on. I thought thought he had a good little cameo when he came on against Burnley in that game. He was in the match day program before that, actually talking about how yeah I know a bit about Burnley because I've prepped to play them earlier in the season when he was at Middlesbrough. And um, so yeah, he's an experienced player, and I think him and Humphreys might actually work as a pairing quite nicely because I think Luongo showed that he can be the sort of Morsi driving factor as well, but he can also he can also sit and be a playmaker. Humphreys has got those kind of mix and match qualities as, as well. So um that would be interesting to see those two if it, if it is those two. Um top end of the pitch, Jackson, arguably man of the match against Burnley on that right hand side. First game back in. Nailed on, yeah. Yeah. Aluko played as the sort of number 10. Yeah. Yeah, not as convinced. Not not as convinced. So I'll, I'll tell you why in a second. We'll finish finish this, and then 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 I'll finish this. I think I know where you are because then you've got an option on the left. It was Harness on the left for the Burnley game, mm. but Carl Edwards has uh, has really put his hand up, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I if you you've got to give this boy a start to get him going. I, I think he's uh, he can just offer something different. I would I would play be playing Edwards from the left, and I would probably play Harness as the central one if if it okay. was me. That's what I would do behind Hurst, and then Hurst. If you skipped yeah. ahead, Hurst Hurst yeah. back in up front because yeah. as good That's... as Freddie Ladapo has been, I thought he he was another one that came out of the game on Saturday with with a semblance of credit. Another goal, but I thought his his, his general play was was pretty good as as well. Um, player of the month for January. They need to get Hurst. Uh, really up and running and, and firing, don't they? So I think they need to use this this game yeah. for him. Yeah, they need... We, we've talked about the strikers a lot and we, they need both of those strikers and they both need to be on it and they both need to deliver something for the team in every game. Um, so, yeah. I think I think you, you end up going back to Ladapo to start the Sheffield Wednesday game, although Hurst will be absolutely gagging to play in that one. Um, former Sheffield Wednesday player, of, of course, and a, a son of a legend there. But um, that's left good. in slightly. Um, we'll talk yeah. about this in the build-up to Sheffield Wednesday, but left in slightly acrimonious circumstances mm. as, as well. So, yeah, there is that factor, isn't there? But um, 
That would be fun, actually, because Freddie Ladapo's got a really good record against Sheffield Wednesday. He um he scored against them some really important goals for Rotherham in, in what something as a of a rivalry. Um, was it between Toy Town and the what are they what are Wednesday called? They're just the Owls, aren't they? The Sheffield United are the Snort Beasts. Is that yeah? Right? This is all based on our former colleague Chris Chris Brammer's uh, Sheffield Wednesday fandom. The snort beasts, I like that. Um, but anyway, that, that's that's skipping ahead. But yeah, in, yeah, Hurst, Hurst to play up top in this one. But I, I would be going Jackson Harness because I, I've liked I've liked Harness in the last couple of games. So I, I thought he did okay in what he was asked to do at the weekend, which was a lot. Um, so I'd play him centrally and hundred percent Kyle Edwards on the left. Okay. Did I just say Sheffield United fandom for Chris? If I did, mm. that was. I, I meant Sheffield so. Wednesday. If I did, I'll correct myself just in case because that would be uh, <laughs> that would be unforgivable. Um, right, we're coming up towards an hour of this um, Ipswich v Burnley for a place in the last sixteen. Have Ipswich missed their big opportunity in this tie, Andy? My gut feeling says yes. I think that start yeah. against them. I think Burnley were well below their normal levels. Um, I'm not sure they'll be as generous this this time around on on their home turf. No, I I don't I don't think so either. I think they've missed their opportunity to progress. There's still an opportunity for good things to come out of this game. Um, but I think Burnley, I think Burnley will win. I think they'll win it maybe two 0 something like that. Um, and they'll feel they'll feel like they could play at Wembley this season if they get. They'll feel like they could beat Sheffield Wednesday or Fleetwood at Turf Moor if they get past Ipswich. And then it's a one-off game to get to a Wembley semi-final and yeah. go and go to Burnley. So um, plenty of Premier League clubs, big mm. Premier League clubs have fallen already. You start if you're Burnley, you look at that and you think, oh, this is all opening up for us quite nicely this year. Um, and they've got a ridiculous margin, yeah, of error in the Championship. Twenty points clear of third now. So it's not like they're in a, oh, you know, priority is promotion. Of course, it is still promotion, but there's no reason they can't combine a cup run with that as well. Um, when I won 3-0 at Norwich at the weekend, um, they've signed another forward player since Ipswich played them last in Michael Obafemi from Swansea, who isn't cup-tied from what I can see. Um, yeah, I think this is a, a big ask a big, big ask, regardless of what happened at Portman Road in the first game. Cool. Right. Should we stop? Should we stop talking? Or is there anything, have you got anything else you want to talk to about? Do you want to stick a score? I'll stick a score. You said 2-0. I I think it might be, I think it might be 3-0. We shall see. Um, Let's let's wrap things up with some shout-outs to our sponsor. Uh, Big shout-out to Manscaped, who have helped me trim my nostril hair. This morning, very important to look after that as you get into your mid to late thirties. I think, um, male or female, look after your nostril hair would be my advice. Um, and whatever age you are, um, you need to keep your pickle ginger, don't you? And get yourself, uh, oh, yeah, there was no more manscape chat. Okay, you, I was you, wondering you, where you, that yeah. was going. <laughs> Heart in mouth there. <laughs> no, no, we're, t- we're talking, we're talking, um, internet marketing, like digital marketing here. Um, Anybody could could benefit from digital marketing, even if it's like marketing yourself to, to rock it up those Google. I pages. went for a beer with Tony Southgate of Ginger Pickle recently, and honestly, he blew my mind in terms of the level of detail 
Look, I'll be honest, I thought it was all a bit of a, oh, digital marketing. Oh, yeah, I'll help you with your SEO. And I thought it was a bit of bit of snake oil salesman type stuff. You know, it's just knowing a little bit of stuff that most people don't. And But honestly, the level of detail that goes into it about load speeds and various things around the back end of websites and all these little fixes that you can do to get your business and your website performing higher in uh, in on uh, and Google and stuff like that. He knows his onion his onions does our Tony. So um, honestly, get in, get in touch with Ginger Pickle. I know a few of you have done already because he's uh, he said a few people have already reached out off the back of this podcast, which is great. So um, yeah, if you like your ginger, if you like your pickle ginger, Google Ginger Pickle. And if you like your onions, Ginger, get in touch with him as well because he knows his onions. They're exactly. ginger as well. They're ginger as well. Um, right, Stu, let's crack on. Uh, we get to spend 10 hours in the car with each other going up and down to Burnley over the next couple of days, which we'll uh, descend into. Yeah, that's what we want. Two thumbs up. Happy boy. And um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you at Turf Moor. And uh, we'll also be back to talk about the Big Sheffield Wednesday game later in the week. 